You are listening to the Sojourn Church Podcast. If you have any questions or would like to view a video version of this message, please visit our website, sojournchurch.org. I think we are wondering, what's the issue? Does God have an issue that's bigger than the ones we're dealing with? Because we're dealing with lots of issues. We're dealing with a pandemic. We're dealing with a an economic issue. We're dealing with foreign threats. Uh, we're dealing with political issues that seem threatening. We're possibility of moving toward socialistic stuff that scares the stew out of us. And we're we're dealing with uh, courts. What, what's going to happen in our courts, uh, the court system, and what's going to happen in uh, China. And I, so I've been saying, God, what's, what do you think the issue is? Because we could, uh, we could address any and all of those and get, spend your life for it. Uh, I mean, there, there are those of us who are still concerned about issues like abortion and, uh, oppression and injustice, and uh, so, so where, where do you where do you put your hand to the plow? And it's so easy when the storms come to uh, get panicky and fran- frantic. And so uh, the word I want to give you today is intended for this: you are not supposed to be in a panic, and you're not supposed to be frantic, and you don't have to be. Does that mean God's not serious? No, he is very serious. He's serious, but he's not somber. And he's not all that mad. But he is serious. And so we want to hear his word, right? If he'll, if he'll speak it. I uh, have been doing, continuing some of my stuff with leaders and men and so I said this to him the other day, you know, mo- most of the men, I-, I thought by my age, which is old, uh, I wouldn't be asking this question, but uh, <clears throat> I do Zooms with uh, men from different parts of the country and whatever, and a lot of them are my age or older or somewhere in that area. We're all asking the same questions we were asking 40 years ago. God, what's your will for my life? Wouldn't you think by now we'd know? Uh, What do you want me to do? That's what the kids ask when they come out to the ranch and we do the leadership thing. You know, it's like, what's God's will for my life? Well, for this 10 days, do what I say. (laughs) I think there's a bigger question. Yeah, it's important to know God's will. It's more important to know God's heart. If you don't know God's heart, knowing his will won't help you. So so God is serious about revealing his heart to us. So it's going to be important. I want to, I want to give you a big picture. So you, it's important that you stay with me, keep your mind 
uh, tune, okay? When's the last time you read Haggai? Well, I thought. Well, probably most of us haven't read Haggai in a while. Let me tell you a little bit about Haggai. Haggai was a prophet of God who spoke during the post-exilic period. Do you know what that means? Okay, let me give you a little background. So, Israel, as God's chosen instrument to bless the world and his carrier of his word, Israel was in covenant with God and God made uh, a covenant saying, if you obey, you get blessings like these flourishing. If you don't, then I'm obligated to get your attention. I, I, you, you won't be flourishing. You'll, you'll be cursed. One of the curses that would come is that you lose your land and you lose your temple and you lose your identity. And, and, and so that happened. That happened to, to both the northern tribes and the southern tribes. And uh, the southern tribes, uh, Judah, was captured by Babylon in, you know, right around 600, 586 in that area, and went into captivity. They, they destroyed the temple. They destroyed Jerusalem. They destroyed the records of stuff. And so, so Israel was scattered in Babylon. And then uh, they stayed there about 70 years. And all during this time, they were in anguish because they had lost everything. Now, it's important for you to understand how important the temple is to Israel. The temple had always been a theme of God. In fact, G.K. Beale and some others have done extensive study on the book of Revelation, how the book of Revelation is describing creation as God building a temple. It's not just a scientific, here's how God put it together, uh, as much as it is God, it's described, it's written as God's building this temple, puts this canopy there, puts this, finally puts his image in it. it. It's a temple. God has always been about everything being about a temple. Uh, we, we get some clues when we read the book of Revelation and other apocalyptic uh, literatures. We look into heaven and we say, what are they doing? What, what's happening in heaven? It's a temple. They're worshiping God. And, and so... Uh, so temple has always been important. So God puts Adam and Eve on the earth and they're his reflectors. He put them there to enjoy them, them and to partner with them on the earth. And, and so uh, they, a intruder comes in, messes up the whole Garden of Eden, the, the temple deal. And so then, then the mess of sin comes in the whole deal. But, but God doesn't stop there. There's, there's Noah. So, so God chooses Noah as kind of a, Kind of a mini temple, if you will. It was a, a it, it, it was a key to survival for society. Uh, remember that phrase. The temple is the key to survival for society. Okay, so so that was Noah, and then God made a promise to Abraham and said, uh, "I'm going to build a temple. I'm going to build it out of people." It's going to be out of your sons, out of your lineage. I'm going to build a temple. That's, and, and then we have the picture of the tabernacle when God was going through the wilderness with Israel. And, and God said, I want, I want you to have a place to meet with me and I'll meet with you. And, and, uh, and so the tabernacle was there. And then 
Later, David said, look, I, I, I want to build you a big, beautiful temple because you deserve a big, beautiful temple. And, and, and God said, I got a better idea. I'll build you one. I'll build a house out of you, out of you and your sons and, and whatever. So I'll build a relational temple. Now he let Solomon build a beautiful temple, most beautiful thing had ever been. And so there was this great temple. And, and it was that temple that they lost when Babylon came in. And, and so Israel didn't just lose a big valuable building. They lost their identity. They lost the thing that made them distinctive. They lost the presence of God among them. They, they, they lost this whole thing that made Israel Israel. And so for 70 years now, they've been without a temple. And then miraculously, God through Cyrus, the Persians come and attack Babylon and defeat them. And uh, Cyrus, king of Persia, says, okay, I'm going to let a bunch of you go back to Jerusalem. You can build your city and you can build your temple. Now, that's a big deal. That's a big, 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 big deal if you're Israel. So they go back. And uh, they start building, and it's a little tougher than they thought because, uh, uh, well, there are folks that have been living there for 70 years think, well, that's our place. And so they're fighting them, and, and so they're battling, and, and it's not easy. And so they kind of quit working on the temple and kept working on their own houses and trying to work on their own economy. They were having problems, like, for instance, uh, their crops weren't producing like they ought to. They was getting about a half a crop. Uh, their banking system was all messed up because it says uh, they'd get this money and uh, it was like having a bag with holes in it. Uh, uh, mm, sounds like my bank. Uh, <laughs> and uh, the vineyards weren't working well, so they had an economic problem. They had a political problem because they were battling these other little re regional uh, powers that were there. So they had politics, they had economy, they had agriculture, uh, they had all these things going on. And so they're, they're asking the question evidently among themselves, what's it time to do? What, what should we give our hands to? What's the priority? And they had concluded by popular vote that it was not time to build the temple, that they need to focus on all these other things. So the word of God comes through the prophet and says, you say it's not time to build the temple. I say it is. So Haggai chapter 1, verse 2. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time is not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You've sown much, harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills, bring wood, build a house that I may take pleasure in it, and I may be glorified, says the Lord. You look for much, it came to little. When you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, 
because my house lies in ruins, which each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew and the earth withheld its produce. I've called for a drought on the land and the hills and on the grain and the new wine and the oil and the ground brings forth on man and beast and all the labors. Uh, so, I, I won't read the rest, but uh, here's what happened. The people heard the word of God. And they said, okay, we'll, we'll do it. And God started working with them again. And he stirred up the leaders, the right leaders, the governor, the priest. He stirred up the leaders, stirred up the people, began to release resources. And so God helped the people to begin rebuilding the temple again. And I, I want to use that story, that backdrop, as a pattern for what God is saying today. God is saying today, you got lots of problems. And I'm telling you, my priority is, I want you to build my house. Not, not a church building, not a structure, not a denomination. I want you to build the house that I've been working on the whole time, which is a house made out of people who are following Jesus and who are building their lives on him and who are now called disciples of Jesus Christ. You give your attention to that. I'll work with you and I'll stir up whatever leaders need to. I'll change whatever politics needs to be changed. I'll work in whatever economy needs to be worked in. I'll do whatever it takes because that's what I'm doing in the earth. We live in a day when we have worried about building our churches to attract consumers and we measure attendance and so forth and so on, just like the rest of the corporate world does to measure success. And God says, uh, pay attention. I have to go to, listen, <laughs> paraphrasing God here a little bit. I hope it'll be all right. <laughs> God said, I have to go to a lot of trouble to counteract what I really want to do in order to get your attention. I really want to bless you. I want you to flourish. I, I, you know, those of us who are grandpas or parents, whatever, we, we know that feeling. It's like, I have to work hard not spoiling my grandkid. It's like, Papa, I need an iPad. No, okay. <laughs> and mama's going, wait, 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 wait. Too much Minecraft. Okay. Uh, Papa, my bicycle's... Okay. No, no. Doesn't need a bicycle yet. Uh, anybody besides me have a little problem? Like, no. I have to work hard not to bless. God said, I'm having to work hard. I want your produce to be bountiful. I want your bags to be full. I... I want your barns to overflow. I, I, I want to. I really want to. I'm having to stop it in order to get your attention. Consider your ways, he says. Isn't it time we considered our ways? We, 
Now, I know he's using Old Covenant language here in the Old Covenant. I bless your land, I bless your barns, I bless your wine, I bless your health, I bless your body. It's all physical, temporal. New Covenant. I'll forgive all your sins. I'll take all your guilt away, take all your shame. You'll be my children. Uh, are, are we experiencing any drought in the New Covenant deal? When Christians are as frantic as non-Christians, when there's as much depression and suicide and addiction and all the stuff going on in the churches, there's outside church. Are we not experiencing some? What are we going to do about this? So, oh, yeah, well, we need to come up with some better methods. We need to find more. We need to get uh, build bigger buildings. And we need, uh, we, we need something to change people's lives. We need something that transforms people. So, so God is saying, uh, anybody besides me concerned about building this real house? So, so Jesus comes along and he says to the disciples one day, who, who men say that I am? They said, well, some, of, some people think you're a lot like Jeremiah, one of the other prophets. Who do you think I am, he said. Peter speaks, I think it surprised Peter as much as it surprised anybody else. Peter said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. You're the fulfillment of all the promises that God ever made to Israel starting back before in the Garden of Eden. Uh, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus said, wow, where'd you get that? Came from the Father, Revelation. You're right, he said. Upon this rock I'll build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against. God's been building a church. And Jesus said, I took it a step further. It's no longer a building that Solomon did. It's no longer a tabernacle that Moses did. It's no longer something they restored when they came back. No, it is a building made out of living stones. Peter talks about that. That was Peter that said that. And then later Peter in, in one of his letters says, we are all now living stones in the temple of God. That's a, that's a, that's a big deal. If you can think a little bit with the Israeli mind, it's like uh, I can be a stone in the temple, the, the most fabulous structure ever. Yep, you're one of the stones. Ephesians chapter 2, Paul talks about this mystery that's been revealed through the ages and uh, tells us who we are in it. Ephesians 2, he says, verse 19, So then you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Ooh, there's the house he's building built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. That's what God is doing. When Jesus finished his Sermon on the Mount, that great, declaration of what his kingdom looks like. He said, he that hears these sayings of mine and does them is like a man who builds his house on a rock. And when the storms come and beat upon it, it won't fall. 
he who hears these sayings of mine does not do them. It's like a man who builds his house on the sand. And when the storms, same storms, storms come and beat against it, it'll fall. Let me tell you what a real disciple of Jesus is. It's a good idea to know if we're supposed to make them. You know, we put it up on the deal here. We've, it's kind of been our theme for, what, 25 years? Making disciples that make a difference. What is one? How do you know? So, well, we've been through the classes. We've sat in these pews until we're shaped like them. <laughs> We know all the songs. We know the creeds. We've read the Bible. We even listen to your stuff, Dudley. We're disciples. Well, it's a good way to know if you're a disciple because Jesus said he who hears these sayings of mine and does them will build a house that will stand against the storms of life. How do you know if somebody is in the process along the way of being a disciple? They're building a storm Proof life. Now we got those who say, no, if you follow Jesus, there won't be any storms. Um, no. A true disciple is stable in the storm. not escape from them. And by, and by the way, storms don't come to show you how big the storm is or how big the devil is who created the storm. Storms come to show you how big Jesus is and how sufficient he is in the storm. Mark chapter four, Jesus and the disciples are going across the Sea of Galilee Storm comes up, big storm. Now, these are fishermen. They've been in the boat before. They knew how to handle a boat in the middle of a storm. They've been in lots of storms before. This was a big one. Jesus was asleep. They did what we do. They panicked. Big storm, bigger than we can handle. So they focused on the storm and how big it was and who caused it. And they accused Jesus of not caring. Hmm. Anybody ever done that? <laughs> Do you not know we got a pandemic going on here? Do you not know my family's in a mess? Do you not know I lost my job? Do you not know I'm sick? Come on, come on, Lord. Uh, so anyway, they were focused. They, they revealed they did not yet know who Jesus was. And the storm came to reveal to them who that was sleeping up there. If they had known that the one sleeping in the bow was the one who created the worlds and was in charge of it all by his word, I don't think they would have panicked. Storms don't come to tell us how big the devil is. It's, oh, man, the devil's big. He's stealing elections and he's stealing justice and he's stealing this and he's stealing that and, and, and whatever. You know, somebody told me years ago, so look, if the devil could strike a match, we'd all be ashes. Yeah. 
<laughs> he works through through stuff, and, and yeah, he, he's active and he's doing a lot of, a lot of stuff. He, he creates some storms, but it's not a storm that's not somewhere in the hand of Jesus. So Jesus showed us what you do in the middle of a storm. You just sleep. Here's my question. Are we building disciples who can sleep in their storms or are they allowing their storms to cause them to accuse Jesus of not caring or not being big enough? Ephesians chapter 4. Paul is talking about this... Uh, body that he's building, this temple he's building, and he's saying that it, uh, <clears throat> it's got some commonalities, you know, one faith, one Lord, one baptism, all that, different gifts, different giftings and all that. And he says it's all going to work together until. So, so here, here's, here is the definition of maturity. Here's what we're trying to produce. This is uh, 4.13. All this is happening, verse 13, until we attain to the unity of the faith of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to, me to the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ. So, okay, how do you know when you get there? So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and cared about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, craftiness, and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we grow up in every way unto him whose head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. What, 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 what did he say? Until, until we approach this maturity, how do you know you're getting there? You're not only stable in the storms of life, but you are secure in the winds of deception. Amen. Why do the winds of deception come? Not to show you how deceitful the devil is and how big he is, but to show you how truthful and faithful God is, and to show you that he has given you an anointing of the Holy Spirit and you do know the truth. Amen. That's right. Is it frightening today to see how many people are believing every conspiracy theory that you can throw out there? I have been amazed. People that I would have thought, I did think, had the stability to think through it and to know you don't operate in fear, you don't ascribe authority to things that are not authoritative, all, all that kind of stuff, and they're coming up with all this stuff, whether it's political or theological or philosophical or whatever it is, it's like, who, who, where did you get that? Well, it was on the internet, and, and prophet so-and-so said it. Oh, 
Was he the same one who said prophet would get, uh, that Trump would get a consecutive term? So what are you saying, Dudley? I'm saying God is shaking those things that you think are authoritative where you've been getting the word of God and God is saying to you, I want to bring you back so that you will know what I say and you'll understand you have an anointing from the Holy One and you do know down inside. But, but, but where does that security come from, that stability come from? It comes from knowing the word of Christ, and it comes from knowing the body of Christ that shares with me the word of Christ. It comes from, from knowing the scriptures that God has revealed by, uh, to be the living Christ. And as I get all of that, then my life is secure, and I can face the false narratives that are out there and those wolves that are now trying to slip in and sneak away and steal the sheep are recognized by the leaders and the shepherds are saying, no, no, we will walk in truth. And that truth is a truth of love. It is that love is the most powerful thing. And when we speak the truth, God himself affirms the truth and reality happens, freedom happens. So what are we trying to produce? We're building a house out of people who are differently gifted and all of them are precious and, and selected by God and built together to form this temple of God that reflects his glory, that blesses the whole world. How do we know when we're making one? Well, one disciple, we're, we're realizing that they, they're able to be stable in the storms of life. Instead of trying to just stop the storm, which natural tendency, it's like, who, who's that sleeping in the bow of the boat? And they will be able to be secure and safe in the winds of deception. Instead of believing every little ministry that comes along or prophetic word or novel interpretation or new nuance of theology here or there. Instead of that, it's like, no, let's get back to this one thing. We are to speak truth. We are to love with the same love with which we've been loving. And the only way you can do that, folks, is you've got to know the heart of God. What is it? What is it that you know today that you can't prove but you can't deny? That's what you build your life on. What do I know that I can't empirically prove? I cannot I cannot prove to you God exists. I think we got good record that Jesus existed. I can't, I can't prove it beyond a shadow of a doubt in a court of law. I know it's true. I can't prove the love of God. I know it's true. I can't prove he's faithful. I know it's true. I build my life on it. I stake everything on it. I, I can't prove it, but I also can't deny it. 
What is it that you know? Though you might not be able to empirically prove, you can't deny it. That's the foundation. That's the foundation of, of the Word of God. And that, those are the disciples who will stand in the middle of storm and the waves of deception. Okay, so are we going to be about building the household of God? Not just building the structures and building the doctrines and building the... the religious facade or religious... You know, what are we going to be about? Uh, how, how serious are we of it? And what can we expect? Well, Jesus said this. I love all, all the alls in the Great Commission. Jesus said it like this, Matthew 28. All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. And... I am sending all of you all over the world and I'll always be with you to the end of time. What's God working at today? So well, surely he's working on the political system and all that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah. I tell you where his priority is. He's building his household because it's through that household that he will be able to bless a society. And as he blesses that society, that society can reflect what they learned at the household. And so God has always been about building a household that would bless the world. And if you're serious about that, he'll be serious about working with you. I will be with you. He, he didn't just mean that he will just kind of be in the boat. No, I'll be with you. I'll be energizing you. I'll be stirring up Joshua, the high priest. I'll be stirring up the governor. I'll be stirring up those who, will, who are necessary to get it done. I'll, I'll do that, and I'll supply it. Would you like to be a part of seeing the phoenix come out of the ashes of this mess? Would you like to see what God is doing in the middle of a pandemic and a crisis and a corruption? Would you like to see that? Amen. He is so eager. He is so eager to energize his people to do what he has prioritized to do. He wants to build his church. If you, if you just get a little bit involved, you'll see what he does. You say, I've, I've always wanted to see the miracles of God. Well, start doing what God's doing and you'll see miracles. If you're just wanting to be comfortable, eh, you may get one here or there. But if you're wanting to see the earth move because God is moving through his body, get involved in what he's doing. Thank you for listening to the Sojourn Church podcast. For more messages or content similar to this, please visit our website. If you would like to support our ministry, please visit the first link in the show description or visit sojournchurch.org give.